Today's episode is brought to you by Create Engage, the specialist digital marketing agency for the disruptive management consultancy. Now, for long-time listeners, you will probably already know who we are. You may have even heard one of our ads on a previous episode of this podcast. But for those of you who don't, here is a short introduction. At Create Engage, we help you create an effective marketing strategy for your consultancy, a strategy that will resonate with your target clients. And then we support you by delivering the campaigns you need to turn that strategy into a reality, helping you to build your brand, raise your profile with your prospective clients, and ultimately generate return on investment from your marketing activity. Now, I could tell you about many of the great clients that we work with and the results we've delivered for them. But instead, I'm going to do something much more powerful and something that I would recommend you do for your own marketing. I'm going to let our clients do the talking for us. If you are currently thinking about marketing for your consultancy, you're going to want to listen to this. Create Engage started the process for us. They managed it end to end. They came up with some really creative ideas and we were really happy with the work that they did, which meant that we could just focus on running the business. Not only did we start conversations with clients that we hadn't spoken to before, but also there was tangible return on investment by some work that we were given. They've helped right from the initial shaping of the idea through to helping us work out what our end goal was. They've supported us with the visual identity and our positioning of the brand. We've had an immediate expansion of our network and, and have initiated a raft of new conversations with owners, CEOs in, in target client organisations and has led to us winning new projects already. One of the greatest compliments, I guess, is that one of our competitors even said that uh, they really like what we're doing with marketing. They wish they could be doing something as good. So from our perspective, we couldn't recommend Create Engage any more than this. I would certainly recommend Create Engage if you're a consulting firm. They really understand consultancies and the sort of challenges we face. And, uh, you know, I don't think you're going to get much better marketing anywhere else. So I wouldn't hesitate to recommend Create Engage. They did a really good job for us. So if you're looking for an agency that can help you achieve the results that our clients just described, then head to our website createengage.co.uk where you can find out more about how we support consulting firms like you you can download our latest ebook and you can get in touch to talk about how we can help you take your consultancy to the next level through digital marketing hi and welcome to today's episode of climbing consulting the second in our three-part series that answers the critical question of how your consultancy can thrive in the new hybrid world. In this one, we take a closer look at the critical issue of attracting and retaining the talent that will drive your consultancy forward. If you're like many consulting firms right now, you will know that we are in the middle of a talent war. Competition for the best consultants is fierce, which makes meeting the expectations of potential new recruits and motivating them when they become your team members is even more vital. In this episode, Derry Hughes, founder of Explore Consulting, leads the discussion with myself and Rob Garner of Garwood Solutions. In this one, Derry explains how you can build productive teams in this highly competitive environment and what you need to do to keep hold of the talent your competitors are so keen to tempt away from you. Derry brings his real-world experience actively recruiting for consultancies like yours. 
to give you insider knowledge on several key challenges, including what makes a good hybrid working consultant and how you need to adapt your recruitment process to ensure you are recruiting the right people to build effective hybrid teams, and how to balance the home office split in a sustainable way that keeps your team engaged, motivated, and delivering value for your clients. If you are struggling to build your team, maybe it's recruitment, maybe it's retention, and perhaps you are having to turn down work because you just don't have enough people to do it, then this is an episode that you will not want to miss. If you're struggling to build your team, whether that's recruitment or retention, and perhaps you're having to even turn down work because you haven't got enough people to do it, this is the episode that you are going to want to listen to. So with the intro done, I hope that you enjoy today's episode of Climbing Consulting, part two of our Hybrid World series with Derry Hughes, Rob Garner, and myself. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this webinar on hybrid talent, building an engaged and productive consulting team. My name is Derry Hughes from Explore Consulting, and uh, I'm going to be your main webinar host for this afternoon, alongside Rob Garner from Garwood Solutions and Nick Sinop from Create Engage. So what we're going to do is just dive into the content. There's going to be lots of opportunity for discussion and Q&A as we go through the materials today. But firstly, I wanted to introduce myself and introduce Nick and Rob, let them introduce themselves as well. So uh, I'm Derry, I'm co-founder of Explore Consulting and also founder of Honeycomb PS, both businesses that work exclusively with boutique consulting firms. And in a nutshell, what I do is help consulting firms build engaged, effective and efficient teams. We do that through our Explore recruitment platform, our training programs, ops planning and outsourcing support. Prior to starting Honeycomb back in 2018 and starting Explore last year, I was the CFO of Credo Business Consulting, which is a 15 million turnover firm that we sold to Taneo in 2017. I was an independent consultant for many years. And before all of that, I was a strategy consultant at Bain & Company. So I've been working in and around boutique consulting firms exclusively for the last five years, helping them figure out how to build their teams, develop their teams, put their operational processes in place, and generally drive profitable growth. So it's a pleasure to be here today. I'm just going to invite Nick and Rob to introduce themselves as well. Nick, do you want to uh, dive in first? Sure, Derry. So firstly, thank you to everyone who's made the time to join today's session. Conscious it's a Monday, so really appreciate you taking the time out of what will be a very busy day. A little bit of background on myself. I run Create Engage. We are a specialist digital marketing agency for the management consulting industry, and we help boutique consulting firms to really understand how to use effective digital marketing to generate return on investment. And that's something that I'll be talking about on Thursday in my webinar, All About Marketing, but we'll definitely touch on today in terms of how that can help you with your recruitment as well. As well as that, I also run the leading UK podcast for the consulting industry called Climbing Consulting. Rob has actually featured as a guest um, and Derry, Rob and I have also done a series, gosh, almost 18 months ago, which has featured as episodes as well. So if you want to find out more about that, more about Rob, you can go to the series and I can share a link after this, but that's a little bit about me. Thank you, Nick. Rob, over to you. Sorry, thanks, Nick. Um, so I'm Rob Garner. I'm a founder and director of Garwood Solutions. So we work with professional services firms around three main agendas, 
So accelerating growth, improving operational performance and realising value. In addition to doing that, and, and Garwood, we set up in 2018. I'm also a, a NED advisor to a series of other professional service scale-ups. For my sins, I've been in consulting for probably 30 years, 20 years in leadership positions. Over that time, I've been a big four partner, founded, grown and exited my own business, which was a, an award-winning business at the time. And more latterly, was the chief exec of a, a listed international education software and services business. So throughout that, I've had the opportunity to work with a range of organizations in the professional services sector of all sizes, and actually in a international UK and listed m- m- mode. That's probably enough from me, uh, Derry. Thank you, Rob. Thank you, Nick. And you'll uh, be hearing more from Rob and Nick uh, later on. I'm just going to remove your spotlights, fellas. So for those of you who don't know, this webinar is actually part of a three-part series. The way that we've set this up is to focus on the three pillars of profitable growth for consulting firms as we move into 2022. Hybrid operations, hybrid talent, and hybrid marketing. The hybrid operations webinar was led by Rob last Thursday. Apologies if you missed it, but uh, we'll share details on how you can get hold of a recording of that, which sets the scene for a a lot of what we're going to talk about. Hybrid marketing, as Nick mentioned, is this coming Thursday, um, and we'll share more detail about how you can register for that later as well. But this webinar today is focused on answering this question. How can my consulting firm build and manage a world-class team in this new hybrid working world? So, Before I dive into answering that question, you are going to have opportunity to ask your own questions as we go through this. I'm sure you're all used to Zoom webinars now, but if you can use the Q&A function at the bottom, if any questions pop onto your mind as we're going through, stick them in the Q&A and we'll address them when we get to the Q&A sections. I'm also going to take the somewhat unusual step of offering you opportunity to come on and share some of your experiences in uh, in about 10 minutes time. Um, so if anyone's feeling particularly brave, you can come on on camera and, and share some of your experiences, particularly around attracting talent. So how can my consulting firm build and manage a world-class team in this new hybrid working world? And this is a big question and it's a big strategic question for four main reasons. So firstly, it's a critical part of attracting great talent. It's critical to managing and motivating your team. It's critical to delivering value for your clients. And ultimately, that means that you can achieve profitable growth. And so this hybrid working model, which is really new for the industry, we've been through a hell of a change over the last 18 months. Everybody is still trying to figure out how to make this work properly. And there are big bets to place as a result of it. If you get this wrong, then you're going to fail to do some of the things on this page. And that can have a real knock-on effect. These are obviously big elements. What I wanted to do, actually, there's a lot of content in this webinar. I'm going to move pretty fast through it, but I wanted to make sure I'm focused on the bits that are most important to you all. So I was just going to ask at this stage for you to uh, fill in a quick poll. I know we've all had a hell of a lot of LinkedIn polls and things over the last 18 months, but what I'd love to see is just to get a sense of what your biggest strategic challenge is right now so that I can focus this webinar on the, the right areas. So there's basically four options on there, finding the right people, keeping everyone motivated, winning new work, and consistently delivering great work. If you all answer winning new client work, then we can uh, we can pack in for today and just bounce straight to Thursday with Nick. So I can see lots of answers coming through. All right. 
So what I'm seeing there is 38% said finding the right people, 23% keeping everyone motivated, 23% winning new client work, 8% delivering client work, 8% something else. So that says to me that finding the right people and keeping them motivated is is a big issue that you guys are, are facing into. So this is a big issue that you're all facing into. And the way that I think about solving this issue is this concept of triple E talent. So what you want to build in your consulting firm is a team that is engaged, effective, and efficient. And engaged is all about how you get great people in and how you manage and motivate them. Effective is all about delivering value for clients. And efficiency is doing that profitably so that your processes run really smoothly. So that's the kind of core concept we're trying to talk about today. So I'm going to do three sections. I'm going to talk about attracting the right talent. I'm going to talk about managing and motivating your team. I'm going to talk about delivering value for your clients. And then we'll have a Q&A at the end. We'll also have a bit of a discussion after that first section. So let's dive into attracting the right talent. I wanted to set the context for this because we're in a ridiculous job market at the moment in the consulting industry. It's absolutely unprecedented. This chart shows thousands of vacancies across the SIC code, professional scientific and technical activities, which includes management consulting activities. And a big part of it is management consulting. And for the first time in 20 years, we have hit over 100,000 vacancies. This massive spike you see on the right-hand side here is indicative of a real talent shortage in the industry at the moment. Um, Many of you, by the answer to that poll, are, are feeling that pinch. I know many of my clients are feeling that pinch. And some quotes on the right about from Source Global Research. If you're not subscribed to Source, you should be. There's an awful lot of great content they put out. One in five consulting firms are turning down work because they don't have the resources to deliver it. And I know that I and Nick and Rob have all felt that pain as well. We've got Tamsin Isaacson from the MCA saying there's a fierce war for talent brewing in the industry. So this, this backdrop of attracting the right talent is in a, a really like fierce market for good candidates at the moment. So what that means is you need to understand what candidates want and try and meet their needs as well as possible. So we're here today to talk about hybrid working in particular. And what what we did in preparation for this webinar was survey a bunch of our Explore Consulting candidates and ask them what they care about when it comes to hybrid working. So I'm going to share a few of those insights with you now. So firstly, hybrid working matters to them. We asked a simple question of how important is a firm's policy on hybrid or remote working to your choice of firm? And 85% of people said it was at least somewhat important. Nearly 40% said it was very important. So this is something that you can't ignore. The complexity comes when you look at the quotes on the right, because what it actually matters to people is not the same for everybody. So you've got the first quote, for example, I work better in a home environment, my anxiety is lower, my productivity is better. And then you've got somebody who's currently a consultant saying, I want to go into an office and feel that's better for me. Or you've got somebody else saying, I want to avoid the commute, I like the flexibility, et cetera. So Figuring out what matters not just to your current team, but to the people you're trying to bring in and what you need them to do is a big part of this whole whole puzzle. We asked as well, what sort of working patterns people wanted? And actually we found, so this chart is oriented to this, the green is they'd choose this or they'd be happy with it. The red is they don't want it. Gray is indifferent. And so what we found was a majority of the respondents want flexibility and actually total flexibility, although some still said they don't want total flexibility to work where they want. And a majority want to be in the office at least a couple of days a week, whether that's a flexible couple of days a week, whether that's around project needs, whether it's two fixed days, 
varies a bit. But basically what people are asking for is true hybrid working. Now, when I've talked to consulting firm leaders and I explicitly interviewed about 10 to prepare for this webinar, I would say eight out of the 10 are running that two to three day a week model at the moment. There, uh, there was one firm I spoke to where they've completely got rid of their office. They've moved to a four-day week and they're entirely remote. And another firm where they're thinking about bringing everybody back five days a week and viewing that as a source of competitive advantage. Most firms are sitting somewhere in the middle at the moment. Even if they've got rid of office space, they're using co-working spaces to bring people together. So if that's where you're operating, you're probably not at a competitive disadvantage, but there may be opportunity to flex either way and bring in the right talent that you need, as long as you get an understanding of what that talent is, what they really need. In this context, it's one thing understanding what candidates need, but what we find as well is that the, the skills required to be an excellent consultant are evolving all the time. And actually, there's three things that I'm seeing that firms are increasingly wanting and trying to figure out how to test for in their recruitment processes. That's Firstly, the ability to influence and build trust on video. Secondly, initiative, drive, and resilience kind of wrapped up in elements of their character. And thirdly, precision in writing and also precision in reading, which I'll explain a bit more. On the first one, the, the ability to influence and build trust via video, the reality is that remote delivery to clients is not going away. Clients are not really demanding that consultants are back in the offices. Clients are often not back in the offices much themselves. Delivery via video is going to be continue to be really important. And it's really important that the candidates that you bring in are able to influence and build trust via video. The second one, initiative, drive, and resilience. The critical thing here is you've got people working very independently, working from home in places where they can't necessarily rely on their co-workers to get support very easily. And that is driving a higher level of need for um, particularly driven individuals who are resilient to that situation. And thirdly, precision in writing and reading is a critical piece when there's so much more communication is written these days, whether that's instant messages via Slack or Teams or whatever tools you use, whether it's emails, etc. Being really precise in written language and being able to interpret that written language accurately is a critical skill as well. So I just wanted to talk a bit about how some firms are assessing for those things. So when we look at video, what we're finding is that candidates are increasingly comfortable with video because everybody's been spent so much time on video calls over the last 18 months. It's really moved the dial in terms of the comfort that people have in delivering video. So on Explore, for example, we ask candidates to submit a, a profile video, a general why I want to be a consultant profile video, and lots of candidates are happy to do that. We use a tool called Video Ask, which is really low cost for anybody who wants to start introducing interactive video to their recruitment processes where you get someone from your firm to record a, a video, ask it a few questions, candidates record two to three minute videos back, and you get a really good insight into how they put themselves across on video, the confidence, the way they think about their backdrop, et cetera, and how professional they are. So if you're not using video in your recruitment processes as a screening tool, not just video interviews, I think you're missing a trick at the moment. And there are easy tools out there to, to build that into your process. Secondly, initiative, drive, and resilience. There are two ways that you can test this. One is personality profiling. We use the big five traits, the gold standard in personality profiling. If you're still using MBTI or colors, all of those things, they are out of date. The big five profile is the gold standard. It's the most predictable. It's the most reliable. It's the most widely used in the personality science. 
Uh, we have a test called Consulting Q, which is designed for consultants, but you can do you can get big five profiles all over the place. Jordan Peterson has some great content on it if you want to dig into how that works. And that you can explicitly test initiative drive and resilience within that. The other way is when you're actually interviewing people. And this is a quote from a managing partner of one of the firms that I interviewed for this. They have absolutely focused on this in their interviews, almost ahead of the, the technical ability of the consultant. So they screen out anyone who didn't show effort at university. They talk about waitressing jobs more than their internships. And they put a really hard case study in to try and test how well someone responds to feedback and how they operate under pressure. And they're really trying to get to the heart of, does this person have the drive and resilience to work independently and make stuff happen independently? So that's a really important part of it as well that you need to start to think about overemphasizing in your recruitment processes. And then finally, precision in writing and reading. I think the simplest way to test this is look at the tools your team are actually using, look at the types of things that they're writing and build a test that's bespoke to the tools you actually use. So whether that's Slack or Teams for instant messaging, whether you're using email, if you're writing code, going GitHub, if you're using OneNote, um, there's a million other tools you might be using. Whatever the tools are that you use and the way that you use them, just build a test that tests whether someone can write in the way that you need and can interpret instructions easily in the way that you need. It's not enough just to talk to people. You need to test their writing ability as well. So that's what I wanted to say on uh, attracting the right talent. Now, I'm very conscious that this is a real moving feast at the moment. There's a lot of uncertainty in, to, in how this will evolve. We're seeing the, the talent, the war for talent is massive at the moment. I was really keen to get perspectives from you all as to what you've had to change to build great teams over the last 18 months, what's worked, what hasn't, and the types of things you're thinking about going forwards. So if anyone is brave enough to come on camera and share their perspective, then that would be fantastic. Throwing comments in the Q&A box. I'm firstly going to ask Nick and Rob to come back on screen and share their perspectives on what they've done to build great teams over the last 18 months, but also what they see their clients doing. And in the meantime, if you do want to come and share some perspective on this, then please let us know via the Q&A box and we'll, uh, we'll bring you on. Nick, shall I come to you first? Yeah, sure, Derry. Happy to. And I need the um, the personality profile testing you've just talked about because yeah, I'd say I'm part of the old world, but I don't want to um, derail the webinar by finding out why, why the new world is much better. So I think obviously we're in a slightly different space, albeit the fundamentals are identical. It's a services business, very hot candidate market. We're seeing you know intense competition. And I think to make matters more challenging, we're, we're Southwest-based, which has got a slightly smaller pool of, of candidates. I think just to start, I'll, I'll keep this brief, but happy to unpack them if it's useful. I think what have we had to change? I think it's less change, more emphasis. So there's a real big focus on what comes with the role as opposed to just cold, hard salary. I also think to your graph around where people work, we've moved to a 3-2, so 3-in, 2-out, and that seems to work for us. I think in terms of recruitment, and again, interested to get your and, and Rob's thoughts on this, Actually, direct outreach on LinkedIn to a targeted pool of candidates has worked very well for us. We've had two hires directly from cold cold outreach. Also, building your team into, to your point on the virtual process, building your team into that. So as part of our recruitment process, we let new candidates meet anyone in the team for coffee has been really powerful. And I think the other side of, of that as well is also being really clear on the recruitment process. I think because of the speed of hiring, 
candidates are not waiting around. So being really crystal clear on, on interview one, how many steps there are, that's been really valuable for, for us, I think, to keep candidates in the process. What hasn't worked, I think equally direct outreach is not always not always delivered, but you know, that's why you do it. It's it's a numbers game. And I think also, and we'll touch on this maybe later, so I'll tease it, but I won't dig into it, is not having enough of a recruitment presence on our website. And I think it's the same for a lot of our clients is no longer do you have a fancy office that draws people. It has to be that digital presence. But I'll I'll pause there and yeah, hand over to Rob. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, Gary. Um, so I actually strongly agree, Nick, that, that I think we see candidates, and when I say we, that's a bit of a royal we because I'm sort of really talking the experience of four or five different businesses that I have the privilege of, of working with and seeing. But we're seeing candidates making decisions on a different basis. When I say different, I'm not sure it's completely different, but what I see is a different emphasis in the way candidates are making decisions. So candidates would have always made a decision around a kind of basket of factors from salary through the actual job role to actually some of the more social and environmental aspects. And actually what I think we're seeing almost across the board, across all of those organisations that have very different skill set requirements, is we're seeing that that basket, the emphasis within that basket is shifting. And certainly two of the businesses that I work with, you know, very actively recruiting at the moment, uh, both made offers and had offers accepted last week. And in both instances, we know from the feedback that we weren't effectively the highest bidder in price for those candidates. And in fact, those candidates made decisions on a on that basket in a different way. And actually, the hybrid working element was one element of it, but actually sort of social responsibility was another element of it. Actually, the, the kind of culture and values of the business and the ethical working of the business was another aspect of it. And actually, I think they would have all been there 5, 10, 15 years ago in, a, in a, uh, a slightly different model of consulting. But actually, I think candidates are now placing a different emphasis on that basket uh, and making choices on a different basis. And I'm you know, sort of very actively seeing that at the moment across quite a wide range of organisations. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Rob. And I think that speaks also just to the choice that candidates have at the moment. They're able to almost move further down their list of criteria and I guess be pickier, for want of a better word. Yeah based on those things. I think, Nick, the point you made about speed of hiring is so critical as well. Like the, the number of firms we're seeing lose out on candidates that they wanted to make offers to because they waited three days from a final round interview to extending an offer. And the candidates, they take jobs elsewhere. So there's a, just a real push on recruitment processes. And actually, that for smaller firms, that is a massive opportunity for competitive advantage. There's a, a lady I know recently took a job with Deloitte and it took 10 weeks for Deloitte to onboard her. The right offer from a smaller firm in that window could have won her. So you've got a real opportunity if you're able to move fast and if you've got the resources to move fast. I think the other, I'm not seeing anybody brave enough to to come on and, uh, and share their own experiences. But so I'll, I'll move on in a sec. But the, the other point I wanted to raise here was, so I, I see a lot of firms are starting to remove that geographic constraint and hire just from a much, much broader, even within the UK, potentially. I mean, we at at Explore, we have team members as far-flung as Edinburgh, and we're based just north of London. And I've got other firms where they're building teams in India to deliver client work, for example, um, which is a a theme that we might come on to with the cost pressure in the industry that is being raised as part of this this war for talent. But Pratik, do you want to come on and, uh, and say something? Yeah, sure. Hey, everyone. Hi. I think a couple of points that I wanted to make, I think you all talked about hiring. I think there are three fundamental forces that that we have been trying to 
probably address one is of course hiring and i think we talked about the speed of hiring and and also uh, ensuring that uh, communication in terms of uh, what the right role is and we we hire for fitment so that's part of the uh, thoughts that rob talked about and you also talked about i think what has been equally important for us are the other two aspects right so hiring is one the second is build and maintain and the second and the third is growth right and build and maintain that you know which, which we have felt of late is is the hardest for us because it's it's, it's great to have people on board but given the point there that you mentioned right that uh, the market is zooming right now and it's it's it has become increasingly hard to retain the right talent right so for us the formula largely has been you know uh, a trifecta of frequency intensity and time which means that ensure that you maintain high levels of communications with your with your team you know by dialing up either of these three uh, uh levers right either increase the frequency of communication with them that with with them more regularly uh keep them motivated uh the second is of course intensity which means that can you build something beyond a transactional relationship and and third is if you're not able to dial up frequency and intensity ensure that whenever you are talking to them uh at a lesser frequency uh notwithstanding you you talk to them for an extended period of time right so at least uh you are able to ensure that the the sanctity of relationship which is defined by by these three levers is maintained right so so that's something that that we have taken very close to our heart and ensuring that that we retain the right amount of talent and of course and the third element is growth which is uh, you know <clears throat> be extremely precise in the communication and there you mentioned that point to the group in terms of what are our objectives uh, and aim that as a group that we 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 aspire for and ensure that the team is always focused on the north star so i think these are the few learnings that we have learned uh, although painstakingly over the last 18 months and tried to imbibe and incorporate in our system yeah all well, great 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 points and actually i think uh nice segue into the next section but the key theme there for me is communication and the way that you communicate the frequency the intensity exactly uh Uh, all of that the requirement for that has has just gone up significantly over the last 18 months or so all right great so i'm going to just unspotlight nick and robert uh we'll bring them back later because we're going to move into the the second part of this which is around managing and motivating your team and now this is obviously a massive topic and we can't cover it all in the, in the in this webinar there's three points that i wanted to raise mainly risks around managing and motivating the team and then we're going to talk a little bit about ways that you can overcome some of these risks. So the first is the mysterious case of the missing analyst. Secondly, the whole theme of inclusion, which is super important. We actually with at Explore Consulting, we have uh, an official diversity and inclusion partner in Ventum Group and I'm going to share a bit of their insight as to how to better improve inclusion for your teams and then stress and burnout is a massive factor we've all been through an incredibly tough 18 months and no matter what circumstances you're operating in at home home working has taken a toll on a lot of people and the new hybrid world is it can continue taking a toll and um, managing that stress and burnout is a critical part of it as well these things are all related so i'm going to talk about the mysterious case the missing analyst so this is an example a few firms have have referenced to me and um where they have 
people, and they don't have to be analysts, they could be any level of the firm, they're often they're, they're new starters who they've just seen have slowly withdrawn from their teams. Maybe it's that they were dialing into meetings and they're stopping. Maybe they're dialing in without their cameras on. Examples of where people have taken a very broad interpretation of working from home to mean working from anywhere. And then they've asked, they've needed to come into the office and suddenly they say, well, actually, I'm in a different country. I can't come into the office or their Wi-Fi connection is not good enough and they're supposed to be leading client meetings and they're not able to do that. So all of that is a sign that somebody is just withdrawing from the team and is not fully engaged, doesn't have a great understanding of what the behaviors are that you need if you're leading that firm and the outputs that you need. And you're not doing, as a leader, you're not doing a good enough job of engaging that individual. And it's very easy to cast blame at those individuals and to make a bunch of assumptions about why they're behaving in that way, that it's not the way that you want them to behave. And if you want to create an inclusive work culture, making assumptions about what's driving people's behavior is one of the worst things you can do. So when we talk about inclusion, and I'm going to uh, give some specific tips on this in a minute, is no assumptions is a massive part of it and, and just direct honesty and asking direct questions. And all of that will help manage stress and, and burnout. And there are some practical ways of managing managing stress. So a lot of firms are using things like email scheduling so that people aren't getting emails at night, even Slack message scheduling you can use. Simple tools like that so you can identify the things that might be causing people stress and take responsibility as the leader of the firm for making sure that you're helping them manage that stress rather than just saying, well, it's up to you if you read your emails or not. Because we know that in this hybrid working world, maintaining that distinction between work and life and being able to switch off is much, much harder. And firms have a responsibility to do that. So what happens when people are working remotely and they start to withdraw? And again, this is uh, insight from, from Inventum Group, our, our DNI partner. There is a bunch of unspoken questions that that person has, and they may not even be aware of them themselves. It's things like, am I being heard and understood? How am I performing that anxiety around, am I doing the job that I need to be doing? Does anyone know I'm lonely, the people sitting at home, not seeing other people for large periods of time? Is there anyone to talk to? What will the news say next? Like, What, what is the next curveball that's going to hit us? What's going to happen to me and my family? Some of these are really deep fears that people have. And in many workplaces, they don't feel able to speak up about them. And as a leader, I think it's really important to be conscious that these questions will be on people's minds and to help them express those questions so that you can understand what is driving them. If you're not engaging with your team on that human level and engaging with the right frequency and the right intensity and giving space for them to talk about these things, it's inevitable that some members of your team will start to withdraw. That could be particular personality types that are, are predisposed to that. It could be people who are just feeling stressed for whatever, for whatever reason. So think about these questions and try and engage people on that human level. And the other tips I wanted to give are just ways of creating an inclusive culture. So firstly, if people are not behaving in the way that you want them to behave and they're not producing the outputs that you want them to produce, you need to set incredibly clear expectations around those things. Some of this may feel a bit like old-fashioned uh, micromanagement, old-fashioned management techniques, but it's all that really is is extreme clarity of expectations. 
Now, that should ideally come from the overall ambition and commercial strategy that you've defined for the business right through to the capabilities that you want to build within the business to then say, okay, what does that mean for you as an individual at your level of experience and the contribution we expect you to make? Being really clear about that really helps so that people know where they're performing versus expectations. And then once you're clear on those behaviors, we saw earlier that people want flexibility. They want the, op- the opportunity to choose where they work. So let people work wherever is best for the task. If they are doing a bunch of customer interviews, they don't need to be in the office and it's probably unhelpful for them to be in the office. So let them work from home, but make sure that you understand, are they able to do that? Do they know what they're doing? Do they, are they clear on what is required when they're working from home? If they're doing a bunch of modeling or writing code, et cetera, again, working from home might be the best place for that task. If they need to creatively brainstorm answers to a client problem or come up with a hypothesis at the start of a project, then they probably need to be in the office. And giving people that flexibility is a, is a big way of enabling them to figure out the right working pattern for the, the things that they need to produce. Thirdly, and this is probably the biggest but the hardest one to implement, is no assumptions. So if you observe somebody not wanting to turn their camera on or not contributing in a meeting or not turning up for a meeting or not producing the right output, try and avoid assuming the reasons why that might be happening and ask them, why is this not happening? What what can we do to help you? Tell them your own challenges and fears and issues. Strive to be direct and honest all the time. And that is what drives inclusion because people can then feel like they're empowered to talk about who they really are rather than trying to fit in to some preordained stereotype that they are assuming that you want, which might not be true as well. Fourth point, be thoughtful about meetings. So think who really needs to be in a meeting? Have we prepared properly for the meeting? Do we have an agenda? Is there pre-reading? Are we setting this up for success? And try and reduce the number of meetings you have in your business. Meetings are draining. Video call fatigue is real. And it can be a real uh, motivation sapper from people if they're having to sit in meetings where they don't feel valued. When you're running meetings, set them up so that everybody there has opportunity to contribute and that everybody is able to bring in opinions that are valued by the group. And then finally, as a leader, one of your biggest focuses should be to be present and to check in with people all the time. Maybe that's whenever you're in the office, you make a point of dropping by people's desks and having those chats and making them feel included. Lots of firms run peer group engagement strategies where they will have either the whole peer group or representatives of a peer group that meet with the leadership team, even weekly, at least fortnightly, to just make sure you understand how members of that particular group are feeling. What I tend to do is wrap all of that up in an engagement strategy and think about how can we enable our team to communicate in the way that works for them? So if you want to motivate your team and make sure that everybody feels part of it and, mo- and engaged, working hard on all of these inclusive behaviors is super important. All right, conscious of time. So I'm going to crack on to uh, delivering food value for clients. And again, massive topic. So I'm just going to pick off three specific things. Managing clients accelerated development and how the apprenticeship model for consulting fits into that and then delivering consistent high quality delivery. This will take about 10 minutes and then we'll move into Q&A. So managing clients, four points I wanted to make here. Firstly, remote delivery is still the norm. It's going to continue to be the norm. We're not seeing any particular sign that clients are coming back to the office faster than consulting firms. It's proving difficult for 
clients and consulting firms to find days where they're both going to be in the office with everybody working two to three days on site. So remote delivery is still the norm. Given that, a focus on client experience is critical. There's nothing rocket science about this, but it's it's good old-fashioned consulting client management done really, really well. Communicating really clearly exactly what you're doing, why you're doing it, giving updates constantly, raising issues frequently, making sure that the client is really understanding exactly what's going on with the team and where you're at in the project, and just making sure that they're always having a great experience. Thirdly, you will not have opportunity to walk the halls and build relations in person, anything like as much as as you did 18 months ago. Nick's going to talk more about that when it comes to marketing, but the best way of growing your consulting firm is to stay relevant and relational with your clients on a human level. So you need to find ways to do that effectively while staying remote because this isn't 18 months that we've weathered and you can go back to working on client site in most cases. You need to crack the code on how to build relationships with people virtually and stay relational with them virtually. And finally, contract clarity. So there's two points I wanted to make on this. One is... If your team want to work remotely, and we see in the the feedback we get from candidates that most of them are not that interested in working on client site five days a week, that model is not appealing to the candidates and they're starting to say no to it because there's lots of firms that don't require it. Make sure that's in the contract with the client. Make sure that the fees you're charging are explicitly for remote delivery and get that watertight. And then secondly, get your project scope watertight as well. The risk of scope slipping in a remote environment, if you're not on top of your communication, if you're, if you're not staying relevant and relational, that scope creep and frustrated clients is a real risk. So getting that all really tight at the start contractually, investing in hypothesis development, et cetera, is super important. So we move on to accelerated development. So this may not be a way that you've thought about your consulting firm before, but I think it's really, really powerful. So I wanted to explain what I mean by this. When I talk about accelerated development, I'm really talking about moving somebody through the levels in your consulting firm faster than they might naturally go. Um, and you've got to put a lot of stuff in place to be able to do that, but the benefits are significant. So if we if we have a look at this, this is a typical kind of consultant level person, and most firms would be making eighty to 90000 contribution margin a year from someone at that level. And two to three years later, they might get promoted to senior consultant and be managing a couple of consultants. And that unit then is generating up to 300000 a year of margin. Another couple of years, and they might get promoted to manager level and be managing two of those units. And in total, that group is contributing up to 700000 a year of margin. When you run the math through, the difference between somebody getting promoted on three years versus getting promoted on two and a half years, so you, you, get, you promote them six months earlier each time, can be half a million pounds of contribution profit per person over a six-year period. So the impact is massive if you get this right. Now, how does accelerated development work? Generally speaking, there are three elements to it. This is a bit of a busy slide, but if you look on the left-hand side, there are three things driving development. You've got project allocations, You've got interactions, day-to-day interactions with people, and then you've got formal training. The 70-20-10 model, which is quite well-known in L&D circles, it's not hard and fast. It's not even that empirically supported, the 70-20-10. So those proportions aren't 
necessarily uh, to be relied on, but it does gut check at a consulting firm that the vast majority of development happens when you're doing the projects and it happens through those interactions and the formal training provides the structure around that. The 70 and the 20 together are part of the apprenticeship model. And so if you're remote working and hybrid working and you're not making that apprenticeship model work, you are not going to be developing people as fast as you might otherwise. So you've got to figure out a way to continue making that apprenticeship model work and getting people in the office interacting with the senior team is a critical part of that. Now, that I think is fairly non-controversial that you can generate value by uh, developing people faster. What we found when we asked our candidates about this, and we asked them to whether they agreed or disagreed with the statement, working remotely won't impact my promotion opportunities. And we got a perfect 50-50 split. So half of them think that working remotely won't impact their promotion opportunities, and half of them think that it will. Now, whether they're right or wrong depends on a lot of things. And there's a a quote at the bottom here from, again, one of the, the consulting firm leaders that I spoke to, which just really resonated with me and uh, and it it fits with my bias from my own experience. For new hires, the more time in the office with the right people, the quicker their learning curve and the faster they can add value, which means that working remotely will impact promotion opportunities if others in the firm are not working remotely. So where you've got a super flexible hybrid model and some people are choosing to work from home, that can impact promotion opportunities unless you make a really conscious effort to make sure that doesn't happen and to double down on effectively a remote apprenticeship model. If it will impact their promotion opportunities with the way that you run your firm, you need to be careful because there could be 50% of people saying, well, this shouldn't impact my promotion opportunities. So then you've got a communication challenge. Figuring out where your people sit on this question and how you can address that is a critical part of your hybrid working strategy. All right. Conscious of time, I'm going to do one last slide. So this is around delivering client value in a hybrid world and consistency of delivery. And there are four things that I think matter. So firstly, getting the basics right with core consulting skills. Secondly, having really good accessible intellectual property. Thirdly, situational leadership. And I'll explain what I mean by that. And fourthly, communication, communication, communication. So with core consulting skills, what I'm talking about here is making sure that everybody in your team is developing a really good model of hypothesis generation, converting that into the tasks that they're going to do, the analytical tasks or whatever it is for the type of consulting that you do, and turning that into a really robust work plan that's built around client delivery. The reason that's important is it gets everybody on board with the why of what they're trying to do. So when they're in the weeds delivering the bit of work that they're delivering, they know exactly why they're delivering it and how it fits into the overall hypothesis. And in a world where communication is is more fragmented, there's many different channels, you could be speaking to some people, writing notes to others, etc. Getting everybody focused around what that hypothesis is is a critical part of delivery within your team. Secondly, codified accessible IP. You need people to be able to figure out how you do things at your firm without necessarily being able to drop by someone's desk and ask the question. So this means being crystal clear on what your propositions are and the value you're adding to clients, crystal clear on your delivery methodology, where you've got specific skills that are important to your firm that you're developing guides for them. I tend to think of the skills that consultants need in three buckets. You've got 
general business skills like presentation. You've got consulting specific skills, things like hypothesis generation and and uh, hypothesis driven work planning. And then you've got firm specific skills, which are the fundamental DNA of how you as a firm deliver client value. It's that third bucket that is your IP that needs to be codified uh, in a really crisp, accessible way so that people can self-serve and understand that really well. Thirdly, situational leadership. What I mean by this is the ability for the leaders within your firm to adapt their management style to the needs of the individual based on how confident and how competent they are at a given task. That could be in some cases a really directive leadership style. In some cases, it could be more directional and supportive. But where you have, you know, it's harder to figure out how confident and how competent somebody is at a task when you're managing them remotely. And so you need your managers and the leaders in your firms to have really well advanced leadership skills where they can identify exactly what an individual needs and give them what they need so that they can develop quickly and deliver well. And then finally, communication, communication, communication. If just There's no substitute for over-communicating in all of these things as long as your communication is really structured and goes back to that hypothesis generation point where that provides the framework for client delivery for that case and everyone can keep coming back to that. I'm going to stop there. Just in summary, so... Your hybrid working model is a big strategic decision. It's going to influence your ability to attract talent. It's going to influence how you manage and motivate your team. It's going to influence your ability to deliver value. Ultimately, it's going to influence your ability to grow profitably, particularly in the current talent market. So I hope I've given you some food for thought and a a bunch of things to consider as you're thinking about that. And with that, I will move on to... Q&A and uh, bring Nick and Rob back in. And then, yeah, have you guys been monitoring the, the Q&A? And, uh... Yeah, so we've got um, we've got a few through actually, Derry. So why don't I, I'm conscious we've only got nine minutes. Why don't I jump to it? Cool. And equally, if anyone else has any more questions, please just ask it in the Q&A. Those come straight through to, to myself and the panel. So interesting question. And actually, Derry, I think you touched on it earlier. So someone obviously wants to find out a bit more, which is, do you see the hybrid world as an opportunity to hire in remote locations? Um, you've touched a bit on the UK, but also sort of the overseas side as well. Yeah, I definitely do. I, I think it's an opportunity and particularly what we're seeing. So there's there's wage inflation with wages going up and the competition for talent. Actually, what we're seeing from clients is an expectation that fees will stay flat or even come down over the next 18 months or so. So there's a real tension on consulting firm margins. One of the ways of solving that is to outsource bits of your delivery to overseas teams. And there are some teams that are doing that and they've built teams in India. The ones that have done that well have got years of experience of running and managing those teams overseas. So it is absolutely not a panacea solution to suddenly cutting your cost base. All of the manage and motivate your team risks that I've emphasized are um, order of magnitude more significant when you're managing teams from overseas, from different cultures, when it's 100% remote and you have very little opportunity to get them in, in the office. But I do think there's an opportunity there for firms that can crack that code. I don't know, Rob, do you have a view on that? Yeah, I was going to just add to that because I think the important word you used in all of that is about building teams overseas. It's not about individuals. And you still need to think about the kind of cultural development of the organization, how people actually interact with each other. 
even though that might be a subset of your overall organisation, but as a team in a different geographical location. I think that's a bit different to thinking about it on a national basis where, you know, you said your own instance, you know, from London to Edinburgh kind of thing. Certainly, I've got businesses with people, you know, in you know, everything from the West Country to Manchester to the North East to London, all in one organisation. And one of the things we find really important in that is you still need to think about how you're going to bring people together on a periodic basis, not even in a kind of hybrid working sense, but actually in a company communication sense. And that's very difficult to do if you've got, you know, one person in Poland and one person in the Czech Republic and one person in India or whatever, that's just not going to happen. So I think building teams overseas is a really important aspect and quite a key aspect to the, the development of a, of a practice of a business. Thinking about how you still though create those kind of organizational wide communication events is also really important. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'd echo what the two of you said. So nothing really to add from my side. Just one question actually that's just come in and it touches on a point I talked about. So just to clarify, someone asked when I talked about the three in, two out method. That is about our office where we're working as opposed to recruitment. So that is not bring three in and throw two out. That is very much around where we're based in the office. So just to help clarify that. In terms of then other questions, and I'm just looking through, and particularly with one eye on time, I guess another one, just touching on some of what you were talking there, Derry, about how to manage teams effectively. We've had a question around, you mentioned IP and making sure everyone can work in standardized methodologies just an ask for tools, tips, and, and you know, what systems or tools do you use or you know, for both of you, your clients are using as well? Yeah, uh, great, great question. So it's interesting, actually. So the, um, I know well the lady that kind of built the tools that Bain rely on, and then she went and did the same thing for McKinsey. They, they were kind of built internally. There, there aren't many great off-the-shelf tools. The best one I've seen is MethodGrid. So if people are familiar with that, it's a a really powerful built by consultants built by Don Morehouse who founded Morehouse Consulting it's a really powerful way of organizing your IP in a way that can then be uh, deployed in client engagement so what it allows you to do is show off your IP to clients as well and actually that's a massive source of competitive advantage for a small firm you can't rely on your brand name you can't necessarily rely on people knowing exactly what you've done so but what you can do is show well this is exactly how we deliver value for you and most uh, larger firms won't really do that. They're not really set up to do that in the, that level of detail. So Method Grid is a good way. If you don't want to go down that route, then just SharePoint and Google Drive. Like there, there's an awful lot you can do with the tools you're already using and just record videos on Loom, have all of your IP just written down in a simple way and record someone speaking over it. Like That's a, that's a pretty basic starting point. Uh, anything yeah. else you guys would would add into that well I, I think just to your point and, and frankly these are all variations on a theme just so what we use is we're trello based which we yeah. found to be brilliant and i think you just you, you hit on a really important point as well Derry, of recording videos so loom if you've never come across it l o m is fantastic for exactly what you've just described screen share talk through a process that goes on a trello board really good for managing that ip and, and actually touching on we talked about recruitment in the first half i know for our business, and again, we are pure play consulting, but it's a services business. Not only do clients value that, but candidates, I think a real pain point, I'd be, I'd, I'd be interested in what the two of you think, actually, we hear from candidates is I'm coming from somewhere with no structure, and therefore, it's difficult to work. So that might be, I don't know if, if you two, again, see similar, actually, that IP really reassures candidates as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I would agree. Um, and actually, there was one that came in about 
managing kind of professional development in a hybrid world there Ian. I'm just interested in your views you know taking that 70 20 10 model and the sort of 10 percent of slightly more formal training um you know whether you've come across organizations that have kind of almost cracked the remote delivery of some of that formality yeah it's a really interesting point um, and actually it speaks a bit to the next point around codifying ip for candidates um so Indeed. part of that is having self-serve materials and I think having a really good way of tracking what people are doing and making sure that people are actually completing those materials and working through them when they need to. And again, you can set this stuff up in Excel. You don't need fancy tools for it. If you want to invest in a learning management system, et cetera, then you can do that as well. But like, you don't need to find the right tool to solve this problem. So I think tracking that people are completing that, I do think for the most part, if you can get people together in a room for training sessions, particularly when they're relatively new to the firm, you get a big advantage out of that. So yes, lots of training can be delivered virtually. I would see it more as an opportunity to, to bring people into the office and use it as a bonding exercise and a, and a social. You know, if you're doing quarterly training days or whatever model you use, I think there's an opportunity there to bring people together if you can, particularly junior members of the team. I strongly support that. I think where that's not possible, what we've found is that you need to restructure that formal training into more bite-sized chunks it needs to Definitely. be you know two hours not four hours or a day or whatever uh, and actually it needs to be, you need to up the beat rate but of smaller chunks yeah. and bring people together virtually is a different way of doing it but that's not you know definitely agree with you that it's preferable to bring people together physically if you can where you can't there are other ways of doing it yeah i totally agree we, we see what used to be two days of training split into two hour chunks delivered weekly over however exactly long it's needed that. for that because um, people just can't concentrate and actually then you get opportunity to implement things as well yeah. i think we are basically out of time guys unless you think it's time for one more question i think we're probably we're probably done so everybody thank you so much for for turning up on uh, on a monday evening uh, real pleasure to take you through those those thoughts uh, i'm sure it will have kicked off a bunch of questions so feel free to contact any of us via via linkedin email etc i hope to see all of you again on thursday for next session on hybrid marketing which was going to continue to be a really important tool for growing your consulting firm so again thank you and uh, we look forward to seeing you on thursday Thank you, everyone. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Climbing Consulting. If you have any guest recommendations, comments, ideas, thoughts on how I can make this show better for you, just drop me an email. It's nick at createengage.co.uk and I really look forward to hearing from you.